Chapter Six of Master of Life and Death by Robert Silverberg. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The late director Fitzmaugham's files were spread over four floors of the building, but for Walton's purposes, the only ones that mattered were those to which access was granted through the director's office alone. A keyboard and screen were set into a wall to the left of the desk. Walton let his fingers rest lightly on the gleaming keys. The main problem facing him, he thought, lay in not knowing where to begin. Despite his careful agenda, despite the necessary marshalling of his thoughts, he was still confused by the enormity of his job. The seven billion people of the world were in his hands. He could transfer 50,000 New Yorkers to the bleak northern provinces of underpopulated Canada with the same quick ease he had shifted five unsuspecting doctors half an hour before. After a few moments of uneasy thought, he pecked out a short message. Request. Complete data file on terraforming project. On the screen appeared the words, Acknowledged and coded. Prepare to receive. The arrival bin thrumped with activity. Walton hastily scooped out a double handful of type sheets and made room for more. He grinned in anguish as the paper kept on coming. Fitzmaugham's files on terraforming, no doubt, covered reams and reams. Staggering, he carted it all over to his desk and began to skim through it. The data began thirty years earlier, in 2202, with a photostat of a letter from Dr. Herbert Lang to Fitzmaugham, proposing a project whereby the inner planets of the solar system could be made habitable by human beings. Appended to that was Fitzmaugham's skeptical, slightly mocking reply. The old man had kept everything, it seemed, even letters which showed him in a bad light. After that came more letters from Lang, urging Fitzmaugham to plead Terraforming's case before the United States Senate, and Fitzmaugham's increasingly more enthusiastic answers. Finally, in 2212, a notation that the Senate had voted a million-dollar appropriation to Lang, a minuscule amount in terms of the overall need, but it was enough to cover preliminary research. Lang had been grateful. Walton skimmed through more or less familiar documents on the nature of the terraforming project. He could study those in detail later, if time permitted. What he wanted now was information on the current status of the project. Fitzmaugham had been remarkably silent about it, though the public impression had been created that a team of engineers, headed by Lang, were already at work on Venus. He shoved whole handfuls of letters to one side, looking for those of recent date. Here was one dated 1 February 2232, Fitzmaugham to Lang. It informed the scientists that passage of the Equalization Act was imminent and that Lang stood to get a substantial appropriation from the UN in that event. A jubilant reply from Lang was attached. Following that came another, 10 May 2232, Fitzmaugham to Lang, official authorization of Lang as an executive member of Popeek, and appropriation of, Walton's eyes bugged out, $5 billion for terraforming research. Note from Lang to Fitzmaugham, 14 May. The terraforming crew was leaving for Venus immediately. Note from Fitzmaugham to Lang, 16 May. Best wishes, 
and Lang was instructed to contact Fitzmaugham without fail at weekly intervals. Spacegram from Lang to Fitzmaugham, 28 May. Arrived at Venus safely, preparing operation as scheduled. The file ended there. Walton rummaged through the huge heap, hoping to discover a later communique. By Fitzmaugham's own request, Lang should have contacted Popeek about four days ago with his first report. Possibly it had gone astray in delivery, Walton thought. He spent twenty minutes digging through the assorted material before remembering that he could get a replacement within seconds from the filing computer. He typed out a requisition for any and all correspondence between Director Fitzmaugham and Dr. Herbert Lang that was dated after 28 May, 2232. The machine acknowledged, and a moment later replied. This material was not included in the memory banks. Walton frowned, gathered up most of his superfluous terraforming data, and deposited it in a file drawer. The status of the project, then, was uncertain. The terraformers were on Venus, and presumably at work, but were yet to be heard from. The next Popeek project to be tracked down would be the faster-than-light spaceship drive. But after the massive data Walton had just absorbed, he found himself hesitant to wade through another collection so soon. He realized that he was hungry for the sight of another human being. He had spent the whole morning alone speaking to anonymous underlings, via screen or enunciator, and requisitioning materials from an even more impersonal computer. He wanted noise, life, people around him. He snapped on the enunciator. I'm calling an immediate meeting of Popeek section chiefs, he said, in my office in half an hour at 12.30 sharp. Tell them to drop whatever they're doing and come. Just before they started to arrive, Walton felt a sudden sick wave of tension sweep dizzyingly over him. He pulled open the top drawer of his new desk and reached for his tranquilizer tablets. He suffered a moment of shock and disorientation before he realized that this was Fitzmaugham's desk, not his own, and that Fitzmaugham forswore all forms of sedation. Chuckling nervously, Walton drew out his wallet and extracted the extra benzolurethane he carried for just such emergencies. He popped the lozenge into his mouth only a moment before the spare figure of Lee Percy, first of the section chiefs to arrive, appeared in the screener outside the door. Roy, it's me, Percy. I can see you. Come on in, Lee. Percy was in charge of public relations for Popeek. He was a tall, angular man with thick, corrugated features. After him came Teddy Schonhaff, clinical coordinator. Pauline Medhurst, personnel director. Olaf Eglund, director of field agents. And Sue Llewelling, Popeek's controller. These five had constituted the Central Council of Popeek. Walton, as assistant administrator, had served as their coordinator, as well as handling population transfer and serving as a funnel for red tape. Above them all had been Fitzmaugham, brooding over his charges like an untroubled Wotan. Fitzmaugham had reserved for himself, aside from the task of general supervision, the special duties attendant on handling the terraforming and faster-than-light wings of Popeek. I should have called you together much earlier than this, Walton said when they had settled. 
the shock though and the general confusion we understand roy said sue llewellyn sympathetically she was a chubby little woman in her fifties whose private life was reported to be incredibly at variance with her pleasant domestic appearance it's been a rough week on all of us but you were so close to fitzmaugham there was a sympathetic chuckle from the various corners of the room walton said the period of mourning will be a brief one what i'm suggesting is that business continue as usual without a hitch he glanced at england the director of field agents olaf is there a man in your section capable of handling your job england looked astonished for a moment then mastered himself there must be five at least walters lassen dominic skip the catalogue walton told him pick the man you think is best suited to replace you and send his dossier up to me for approval and where do i go you take over my slot as assistant administrator as director of field agents you're more familiar with the immediate problems of my old job than anyone else here england preened himself smugly walton wondered if he had made an unwise choice england was competent enough and would give forth one hundred percent effort at all times but probably never the one hundred two percent a really great administrator could put out when necessary still the post had to be filled at once and england could pick up the reins faster than any of the others walton looked around otherwise activities of popeek will continue as under mr fitzmaugham without a hitch any questions lee percy raised his arm slowly roy i've got a problem i'd like to bring up here as long as we're all together there's a growing public sentiment that you and the late director were secretly herschelites he chuckled apologetically i know it sounds silly but i just report what i hear i'm familiar with the rumor walton said and i don't like it much either that's the sort of stuff that riots are made of the herschelites were extremists who advocated wholesale sterilization of defectives mandatory birth control and half a dozen other stringent remedies for overpopulation what steps are you taking to counteract it well said percy we're preparing a memorial program for fitzmaugham which will intimate that he was murdered by herschelites who hated him good what's the slant that he was too easygoing too humane we build up the herschelites as ultra reactionaries who intend to enforce their will on humanity if they get the chance and imply fitzmaugham was fighting them tooth and nail we close the show with some shots of you picking up the great man's mantle etc etc a short speech from you affirming the basically humanitarian aims of popeek walton smiled approvingly and said i like it and when do you want me to do the speech we won't need you percy told him we've got plenty of stock footage and we can whip the speech out of some spare syllables you left around walton frowned too many of the public speeches of the day were synthetic created by skilled engineers who split words into their component phonemes and reassembled them in any shape they pleased let me check through my speech before you put it over at least we'll do we'll quash this herschelite thing right off the bat pauline medhurst squirmed uneasily in her chair walton caught the hint and recognized her uh roy i don't know if this is the time or the place but i got that transfer order of yours 
The five doctors? You did. Good, Walton said hurriedly. Have you notified them yet? Yes, they seem unhappy about it. Refer them to Fitzmom's book. Tell them they're cogs in a mighty machine working to save humanity. We can't let personal considerations interfere, Pauline. If you could only explain why. Yeah, injected Schonhoff, the clinic coordinator, suddenly. You've cleaned out my whole morning lab shift down there. I was wondering. Walton felt like a stag at bay. Look, he said, cutting firmly through the hubbub. I made the transfer. I had reasons for doing it. It's your job to get the five men out where they've been assigned, and get five new men in here at once. You're not required to make explanations to them, nor I to you. Sudden silence fell over the office. Walton hoped he had not been too forceful, and cast suspicion on his actions by his stiffness. Whew, Sue Llewellyn said. You really mean business. I said we're going to run Popeek without a hitch, Walton replied. Just because you know my first name, that does not mean I'm not going to be as strong a director as Fitzmom was. Until the UN picks my successor, his mind added. Out loud, he said, unless you have any further questions, I'll ask you now to return to your respective sections. He sat slumped at his desk after they were gone, trying to draw on some inner reserve of energy for the strength to go on. One day at the job, and he was tired terribly tired and it would be six weeks or more before the united nations convened to choose the next director of popeek he didn't know who the man would be he expected they would offer the job to him provided he did competent work during the interim but wearily he saw that he would have to turn the offer down it was not only that his nerves couldn't handle the grinding daily tension of the job he saw now what fred might be up to and it stung what if his brother were holding off exposing him until the moment the UN proffered its appointment, and then took that moment to reveal the head of Popeek, far from being an iron-minded Herschelite, had actually been guilty of an irregularity that transgressed against one of Popeek's own operations? He'd be finished. He'd be laughed out of public life for good, and probably prosecuted in the bargain, if Fred exposed him and Fred was perfectly capable of doing just that. Walton saw himself spinning dizzily between conflicting alternatives, keep the job and face his brother's expose, or resign and vanish into anonymity. Neither choice seemed too appealing. Shrugging, he dragged himself out of his chair, determined to shroud his conflict behind the mask of work. He typed a request to Files requestioning data on the faster-than-light project. Moments later, a torrent began, rising from somewhere in the depths of the giant computer, rumbling upward through the conveyor system, moving onward toward the 29th floor and the office of Interim Director Walton. The End of Chapter 6 of Master of Life and Death by Robert Silverberg